I, I think greatest time ever, podcasting, video, all of it. Uh, I mean, I've been hearing people, some experts out there saying, oh, there's just too much content. There's no, well, there's always been too much content. Since the dawn of time, there's always, since the printing press was created, there's been too much content for people to engage in. But you, you always find that niche, and, and that's the opportunity today. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, the inbound evangelist himself, Dan Moyle. And welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. Uh, I am your host, Dan Moyle, the inbound evangelist, as Diane says. Uh, and I believe in the power of story. Whether you're talking about marketing, whether you're talking about connecting with people, that story is what sets us apart from all of the life on earth. We tell each other stories and we connect through that. And I just, it's so powerful. And we're about to dive into yet another great story with a fantastic storyteller uh, who, who actually considers himself a storyteller now that we've talked. <laughs> uh, but before we do, a quick reminder that our website is a great resource for you. There are resources on there to tell better stories, tactical stuff from people like Park Howell, uh, from HubSpot, from Donald Miller, people much smarter than me who can tell, help you to tell a better story. This is more inspiration. But uh, that, that website, of course, is thestorytellersnetwork.com. Of course, you can find past episodes as well and how to get in touch with me if you'd like. Uh, I'd love to hear from my audience, from, from you, from you. I want you to email me, whoever you are listening right now, go there to the to uh, the storytellersnetwork.com, go to contact Dan or contact us, maybe whatever it's called and hit contact Dan. All right. Send me an email. Uh, and if you're new and you want to subscribe, listen on your phone, uh, text storytellers to three, one, nine, nine, six, and you'll get a way to subscribe. So there you go. Uh, one note, by the way, if you are watching this on YouTube, uh, my guest video feed was a little bit off. The color was, but it seemed fitting after our interview that it's hue just seems to fit. And you'll find out why. So instead of covering it with an image like we had talked about, uh, I'm actually just going to go ahead and let you see this guy in his orange glory. So today's guest, uh, let's talk about today's guest. I'm so excited. So from, from a corporate media job to launching a blog to talk about something that no one had yet heard of to launching an entire movement, Joe Polizzi's journey so far has been pretty incredible. Uh, he founded Content Marketing Institute. He put on Content Marketing World. He has written or co-written about half a dozen business books, including the recent Content Inc., which is fantastic, by the way. You need to go get that. It's in the show notes. Uh, Joe's known for his orange suit, which he explains in our conversation how all that came about. Great part of the conversation. And also what he calls his quirky personality. I mean, come on. Who else makes a list of 42 of anything as a nod to the Hitchhiker's Guide, right? I'm stoked to welcome this creative, authentic, kind, funny storyteller to the show. So let's get to Joe's stories. Well, thanks for making time this morning, uh, bright and early, for me anyway, Joe. So whoever's, whoever's listening when they are, this is an early morning for us. But uh, hey, man, thanks for joining me on the Storytellers Network. No, this is great. Yeah, I love, hey, I just uh, you know, made lunches for the boys, sent them off to school, and, and here we are talking about whatever we're going to talk about. This is fantastic. That's awesome, man. So, so I want to get into that. You, you talk about making lunches. I, I read an article that you wrote about your year-long sabbatical and how that became so important. So we'll get into that. But I, I kind of want to start, though, uh, with the idea of storytelling real quick. Uh, I invited you onto the show because I see you as an inspirational storyteller, not only in how you do it, but what you do, encouraging others to tell better stories through content. So do you, Joe Polizzi, consider yourself a storyteller? You know, it's interesting. I've been on... <laughs> Everyone talks to me about, oh, are, you know, you, you have to tell great stories and content. And yes, absolutely you do. But I never, I mean, I've been in this business for 20 years now. I never thought of myself as a storyteller. I always, first of all, I, I always thought of myself as, okay, we're trying, we're in marketing. And I saw the opportunity as, you know, many people did as Google started and then social media started and it just was a natural aha moment where, oh, well, of course, 
if you're going to be successful in marketing today, you better tell good stories and you better do that consistently over time and you better target a niche audience and you better understand their pain points and uh, go through that process. And then, you know, as, as we started to, uh, you know, we had the event content marketing world and I started to bring speakers on that talked about business to business storytelling and get into that. They would, you know, more, more and more people use storytelling and Hanley, you know, good friend of mine uses storytelling. It's great. You're using storytelling, but I never got into that because when you're talking to a chief marketing officer and you bring out storytelling, they'll shut down <laughs> because they think of it all as all touchy feely. You and I both know here, we're like, well, well, shoot it. If you, if you don't understand the basics of how to tell a good story and what you're trying to do to the audience from a behavioral standpoint, you're not going to get anything. You're not going to do anything. You're not going to make any impact. But a chief marketing officer is all about, okay, well, what's, you know, how, how, what's my ROI going to be? What is it going to happen? And you sort of have to couch, you know, content marketing or the stories that go into that in, in different terms. So I don't know if I answered that the right yeah. way, but I, yeah, I guess I never considered myself. I mean, I, that's why I started using the term content marketing back. Uh, boy, it has almost been 20 years now. <laughs> yeah. I, man, we're getting old. Um, <laughs> I, at least I am. I don't know about you. But oh, yeah, but yeah so, so that that's kind of the, the way I look at it. Um, I love when people start to break that down, um, you know, break down the art of storytelling. And there's a lot of amazing books with storytelling in the title mm-hmm. from a business standpoint. I've never attached myself onto that term. And, 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 and I hear you kind of say too, like there's different kinds of story. There's the big S story is what I've heard it called epic storytelling, the hero's journey, all these things. And then there's like that small S story where we're just, we're, we're giving information, um, anecdotes, right? There's things like that where you have to walk people through, it doesn't have to be epic. It doesn't have to be a huge film, um, but just telling stories and connecting with people is where it comes down to, right? Oh, well, yeah. And, and then I'm always about the the story doesn't end with the article, with the podcast, with the video, right? I mean, you, yeah, you have stories within stories, but you have this very long arc of a story that you're trying to tell to an audience. Hmm. And that's where the consistency comes in. So I, I was just talking to somebody the other day and they said, well, why do most people fail when they're doing content marketing? I said, well, well one is they don't have what I call all the content tilt, and I talk about this in, in content, and they don't have any differentiation to a specific audience. You're not talking about anything different in a different way to the audience, and so you're not getting their attention, and so they're going and doing something else. But maybe the most important one is consistent delivery, and that's where most organizations lose Where I mean, I wanna tell this story at the same time, in the same way, over a long period of time, and that's why when you put the work in to telling that story, you might not see results for 9, 12, 18 months. Mm-hmm. But, and then all of a sudden, you're an overnight success. <laughs> I mean, I, remember, so, I can't remember when it was. I was doing some interview, and this was 2013. And content marketing world was really growing. Everything was growing big at that time. Content marketing as a term was taking off. And I was on stage and they were saying, well, you're sort of an overnight success. And I'm like, what? I said, I was, I was blogging for four years. Nobody even knew who I was. And that's all we were doing is every day I was just telling a story about something that I thought was important. They all sort of interconnected. Uh, but there was a bigger idea where there's a better way to communicate with an audience. That's all we're really talking about with content marketing. It's a better way to do this. You can't actually deliver value that's not in the form of your products and services. Mm-hmm. and that's that's sort of how the whole thing works, and that's the payoff, and you see that with authors as well, where, um, you know, they, whether it's, you know, J.K. Rowling or whatever, they, you know, you, you're writing for a long, an artist, you're, write, you're, you're creating art for a long period of time, and then because you've been consistently doing that over time, something happens, and then that back work comes in, and then people start to live in that, story you've been trying to tell for a long period of time. So that's where, and, and by the way, and you, you and I both know this, that's what companies are the worst at <laughs> because they're always about campaigns. They're always about what's next, what's the new thing. 
And if you don't invest in telling these stories over a long period of time, generally right at the point when it's really starting to take hold and you're building an audience and you're building an asset, that's when they go and, and they'll do a pivot and they'll do advertising or do Instagram, whatever they're going to do. <laughs> they give up on telling the stories and then they're like, oh God, and then there's nothing worse that you can do for an audience. It's almost like if J.K. Rowling you know, went up to right before the Deathly Hallows, it stopped. Right. And be like, oh, what's the ending? <laughs> well, sorry, done. I'm going to do something else. So. Nobody paid attention to me, so I'm done. I wasn't over <laughs> Right. Exactly. And there's, and it's, I mean, there's really a place for storytellers out there in the world, especially the ones, you know, just coming out of college or making a life change at 40 or whatever it is where they're like, you know, I really think this thing is, is there for me. I want to be a storyteller, but I got to make money. It sounds like the businesses that are a little bit forward thinking or maybe, and in, in, in for you, your, in my case, they're a little bit behind the curve. <laughs> um, we've been doing this for a while now. Yeah. You know, th there's a place for storytellers out there, whether it's writing, whether it's video, whether it's all these things, there's, there's a place for us out there, isn't there? It, it's, it's the greatest time ever to be a storyteller. No doubt about it. Because there's an audience for you. And if you do things consistently over time and you find that niche that's, that's yours and you deliver that message out and going, you'll find an audience today. When I started in the publishing business in the late 90s, you had to spend a lot of money to go out and find an audience. There was a lot of direct mail. There was a lot of telemarketing so that you could spend, you know, we were spending sometimes three, six, nine dollars a name, one name, three, six, nine dollars for one name to just get them in the database so that we could deliver them a magazine. Uh, it's not that way anymore. Now, granted, there's a lot of competition at the start of any process, but that's why you really have to focus on, okay, well, you know, a lot of people don't agree with me on this, but I'm always like, well, I want to be the leading expert in the world when it comes to telling these stories. And how do I do that? Well, that's where you have to find that niche that's just yours. And you have to find an audience that you understand better than anything else and then deliver that over a long period of time. But I mean, my, my son <laughs> plays NBA 2K all the time. And he wants to create a channel, whether it's YouTube or Twitch or however he's going to deliver that ongoing. But he has this idea that because he, he has a, a player that he's created that's, that's very unique, let's put it that way. And he's been very successful playing 2K because he's invested a lot of time <laughs> in playing that game. And he wants to tell the story and show things on just that guy. And I'm like, yeah, I think you could do that. You've got to, you, you, you're not talking about something so wide that there's no way that there's so much competition. There's no way we'd break through. If you just focus on this and you be the, I mean, it's almost like going back into the day. And uh, so let's go back to 2007 when I started blogging on content marketing. Well, nobody knew what content marketing was. There was literally no competition in that area at all. I mean, a lot of people talked about different things and, and I looked at it. And I'm like, well, you know what? If we tell this story over this period of time, I, yes, we could do it. it. It took two and a half years to get to a point where I could see the light and didn't say, oh, my God, I got to go get a real job because I can't support the family anymore. But, yeah, I, I think greatest time ever, podcasting, video, all of it. Uh, I mean, I've been hearing people – some experts out there saying, oh, there's just too much content. There's no, well, there's always been too much content. Since the dawn of time, there's always, since the printing press was created, there's been too much content for people to engage in. But you, you always find that niche, and, and that's the opportunity today. Yeah, when you find your tribe, your circle, your niche, your, whatever you call it, when you find your people, Man, it's it's great, isn't it? And 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 I tell you, for those listeners that are that are like getting geared up, go read or listen to Content Inc. Joe's latest book. Um, I mean, the other books are great too, but this one really hit me pretty hard. Of like, okay, uh, yeah, I'm I'm doing this, and I can see this, and you've got great references to tools, um, and, and strategy and tactics. So yeah, go go read that book. That's amazing. Um, yeah, good stuff, man. Thanks for putting that together and sharing that. No, thank you. No, no, no. That's, and that's a very, and as you know, the way that if you're listening to it or, or reading it, it's a very personal book because uh, Epic, Epic Content Marketing that I wrote first 
was really a corporate book. You know, you're, you have a lot of corporate political issues. How do you deliver a message ongoing? How do you really show return at the end of the day? Content Inc. was, geez, I had no money and no resources. I had a small family. How did I do this and, you know, create, you know, ultimately sell the company, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, that's why I love that book because it's almost like it's the, the, the I guess the content marketing book for the underdog. <laughs> it's like, nobody thought I could do it. Uh, everybody told me that this was the stupidest idea on the planet to actually create content on a regular basis and make money from it ultimately. So thank you. I, I enjoy that yeah, book. As well. Absolutely. Well, one of the things I loved is later in the book when you're talking about how you guys put to work the, the influencer marketing idea. Um, I like, first of all, I like how you talk about that because I think of influencer marketing as like, we're going to pay an Instagram influencer. They're going to show our product and we're going to get rich and like, no BS, that's not going to work. Right. But working with those who are true influencers, like, like, like Ann Handley, like, you know, uh, Mark Schaefer, like all these folks that, that I look at you, uh, what I love about it is you, you talk about how you, you did this with your original 42 which by the way, I love the 42 slide in there for hitchhikers. Thank you for that. Um, every event, man, I love it. But, but you talk about your original 42 and how so many of them have become your friends. And so, and, and, and I've realized this too, talking to other people like business coaches where they have a, a mastermind that they've been a part of for 20 years. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, quote unquote, 20 years later, they're all successful people and they've made names for themselves and stuff. And I think, man, what a great inspiration to, for people to reach out to those who are at your level, just starting out, help each other. A rising mm -hmm. tide lifts all boats, like Zig Ziglar yep. said, right? Like yep. that. So that's a great inspiration. I mean, do you find yourself now kind of feeling like it was overnight looking back and or looking at your friends now and go, man, how did I end up? <clears throat> well, first of all, what's amazing is, is that original list, if I go back, and you already know this and you mentioned it, there's some superstars on the list. They've been incredibly successful, you know, best-selling books, creating conferences. These, a lot of these people don't have to work anymore. It's, it's, and, and they're my friends, which is just crazy that it's all happened that way. But in, when I started this program, which basically, I mean, I go through it in the book, but the idea is <clears throat> how do I find people that are targeting the same audience as I am? They're trying to do the same kinds of things. They're just doing it in different ways. So that's where we put together and I, you know, we created the top 42 content marketing bloggers list and then we would put those together and they would help us ultimately with the research as we're putting that, get them all, get them involved in that. All I'm trying to do is find out, okay, do they have similar goals to me or how can, how can I find out what they want to do? What do they really want? What is Ann Hanley? What is Lee Oden? What is Mark Schaefer? What is Brian Clark? What do those people really need to get done? What do they need to do? And it's like, okay, well, this person wants to be better known for this. They want, this person wants an audience in this. This person really would like to speak at this event. And you're almost like brokering around and figuring out, okay, this, okay then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to promote them. I'm going to send out a press release. I'm going to make them look like rock stars. And what was weird is, so it did the, the started with this idea of the top 42 content marketing blogs. And of course, I wanted to be on the list. I wanted, you know, I wanted our content was at the time it was called the content marketing revolution blog by Joe Polizzi. I wanted that blog to be on the list, but that's not the deal. The deal was I put together the list. So it was sort of brought to you. But what was great is everybody had to go to our blog site to see the top 42 bloggers. And by the way, when they were there, they, a lot of people ended up subscribing and the Google juice that happened from everybody linking to that page was unbelievable. And by the way, we, we updated it every quarter and we did it for a long time. I think we did it from 2007 to 2011, if I'm not mistaken, the years. And it worked out uh, brilliantly. And in the meantime, uh, when I called up, uh, you know, a Jay Bear, let's say Jay Bear was number one on that list a couple of times and he's rock star, one, an awesome guy. Yeah. And I'd, I'd send Jay, I'd say, Jay, got good news for you. You made number one this year. And by the way, there was a methodology behind the research. I just didn't say, oh, I like Jay today. I'm going to make Jay number one. <laughs> it just happened to work out. So I just send Jay, uh, Jay the note. And like, I don't know. You could ask Jay this. 
But I think Jay would probably do just about anything I asked him to do if I really needed something done. And he's been a great friend to me all these years. And that's what's been incredible about this is we've all, there's 20 or 30 of us that have been along for this ride. And it all started with just getting together that top 42 list and saying, hey, they must have looked at it and said, wow, what's the catch? This guy's going to promote my blog and he's going to put a release and put me in the title. Yeah, it's, but it, you know, of course, it, it worked out really well for everybody involved in that process and, uh, and also gave us some legitimacy. That's why I love if you're starting out, especially on the business side, some kind of research base, some kind of program where you're bringing other people in is the absolute best way to start because then those people, if they promote it, they give you some kind of legitimacy. And I, nobody knew me at the time and it worked out really well. I'll have to ask Jay that you may have to, uh, put me in touch with him again. Say, yeah. Say, say <laughs> would, would you do anything for Joe Polizzi? And he's on me now because we've been talking about starting a, a beer and barbecue conference. Ooh, man. Which, uh, which I think there's a lot, there's too many. So we sort of have to find our content tilt there, but, uh, but it'd be fun regardless, even if there was too many. <laughs> yeah, right. You could, you could bring together regions, right? Michigan tends to be beer city, everything right now with craft beer. Yeah, that's right. Then, you know, you got some Tennessee barbecue or something like, I don't know. Oh my God. That would be, <laughs> oh, you got me going now. I'm going to have to figure that out. <laughs> get, some, get some Carolina barbecue thing set up and some whatever. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Bring it up North and yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Heck yeah, man. So, so uh, I mean, I could go so many ways with this. I love this. This is a great conversation. You, now, uh, I see you as somebody who tells stories from, from the stage. I've seen you keynote. You, you tell great stories. You do it for, for companies in front of, you know, their, their board of directors, their, you know, C-level executives. But then you also bring people together who tell stories. How did, how did that all kind of come about for you? I mean, if I'm a storyteller, whatever level I am, and I'm thinking, man, I really want to go to that next level. You know, you, and, and like I referenced earlier, you worked with, you know, William Shatner, you've worked with other people who are great storytellers. What, what's been one or two key points to that journey for you that you've looked back and said, okay, I think that's what helped me get there. Um, that's a lot. Sorry. <laughs> it, no, 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 no. It, there's a lot of different ways I could probably answer that, but it really comes down to building an audience. Hmm. Um, if you build an audience, and, and if you look at Kevin Kelly's work of a thousand true fans, it's still, it's true. He wrote that many years ago. It's still true right now. This is not, you know, whether you, you know, if you be, if you're a media company or work in a media company, what is the asset in the media company? The asset is not the content you create. It is the audience that you build. And if you can change the behavior of that audience in some way, that's where revenue comes from. And when, so we started in 2007, really with the business, and I left uh, my corporate job and then started to build uh, email subscribers, really got serious about that probably in 2009, building the email list. And by 2010, had maybe 15, 20,000 opt-in email subscribers. And my thing for this is, this. there's, there's no number that you get to and say, Hey, now I can monetize this. But in B2B generally 10,000 is a solid number because if you have an email list of 10,000 opt-in subscribers, you can find sponsors for that. So, so that's sort of where we started and I started to figure out how to monetize this. And that's when special things started to happen. When people sponsors start to reach out to you and say, Joe, I want to be in your newsletter. How, how can I be on your website? Can I write articles for you? Can I do, you know, it, I mean, just any YouTuber, look at any YouTuber, look at any podcast producer. Once you get to a certain size audience, the doors open on opportunities. It's unbelievable. I mean, when I started to get, in, you know, invited on people's podcasts or to do interviews or to write for Entrepreneur Magazine and all, I was like, what? This is nuts. But you get a certain size audience and, and influence and great things happen. Now, that's where, so that's, you know, get to the, the point of it and not having to work a corporate job. That's where the money comes in. And if you, if I go back to me, I started in media. So I was always like, okay, once you build an audience, what are the possible revenue generating activities that 
come from building that audience? Well, of course, you, you have your long-hanging fruit of advertising sponsorship. They could advertise sponsor on your site, on your podcast, whatever, whatever your, you know, on your e email newsletter. You start with those things. And then you're like, well, what other things? Well, then, then I'm like, okay, well, I had, I'd love the idea of a print magazine, especially if you're targeting an executive audience, which we were partially. I'm like, I wanted to do that magazine, Chief Content Officer. And then ultimately, Dan, I just listened to the audience. I mean, I've started to get email. Oh, Joe, love the, love the newsletter, love the blog, or starting to get comments. Just say, is there, any, are there any, is there any training that you're doing coming up on content marketing? Um, Joe, uh, is there, we really like to meet other people in the space. Is there anything going on in that? Is there any way to do that? So you just listen and then the opportunities come in and it's almost that easy. The problem is, is that you have to get out of your own way as an entrepreneur or story storytelling entrepreneur in this case, because you have an idea in mind of what you want to launch probably. And you almost have to push that into the back seat because what the audience tells you they will buy is way more important than what you want to do. Hmm. Because I initially, in 2008-9, I had this idea for a matching service, which you probably heard about in the book. And I'm like, okay, we'll match up agencies that need content uh, or that deliver content or journalists, for that matter, with brands who need content. Great. It'll be awesome. Like eHarmony for content marketing. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> Problem is, is that uh, only a few people, a few people in the audience at one, our audience at one time actually had that need. And on the other side, agencies didn't want to pay for the service. So it was brilliant. It did not work. It totally, <laughs> totally was the wrong way to go. And t until and then I had to, that had to actually go down in flames for me to start listening to the audience. And I'm like, what? And then the, that's where the event really came in. She said, oh my God, these people want to get come together. They're calling me from all country, co countries all over the world saying, Joe, is there some kind of a content marketing event? I'm like, well, that, we, we better go do that because <laughs> that's what people are asking for. And there's an opportunity created content marketing world, uh, announced it in November of 2010, was hoping in September of 2011 that we'd maybe get 100, 150 people to Cleveland and 660 showed up from, I think, 18 countries. <laughs> wow. And we were profitable in that first I mean, we almost hit a million dollar event, the first event. Wow. And I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And of course, the second year, third year, third year, uh, you know, I, I hate to mention it. He was the great speaker, Kevin Spacey, in our third year. I know he got into a little bit of trouble here. Everybody doesn't want to talk about him. But fantastic speaker at the time. Uh, we ended up getting almost 2,000 people to Cleveland, and it just worked out. So I would say, I, I'm, I don't even know if I'm answering your question, Dan, but to go back to the original idea, you're, you're talking about you build that audience, keep your head down for as long, long as you possibly can before you monetize and get to a level where Brian, Brian Clark talks about this in his book, Brian Clark, CEO of Copyblogger or Rainmaker. He says, minimum viable audience. Find your minimum viable audience where you can run a business behind it. And that could be your business model. And that's where you sort of have to figure out what that is. For us, it was 10,000. For Michael Stelzner over at Social Media Marketing World, his number was 10,000. Sort of on the B2B side, it's 10,000. If you look at the consumer side, so Matthew Patrick is a really popular YouTuber. He's got something like 10 million subscribers. His number was 500,000. Jeez. Now... On the consumer side, it's a little different, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why if, if I'm starting out and you're, it, and you're in a niche on the business side, it's almost easier. It's just you don't have to get as many people. Mm -hmm. And if you're covering an area that nobody's covering, you can get to your five, ten thousand 10,000 subscriber number a lot faster, I think. But you never know. I mean, so my son's doing NBA 2K. He's on the consumer side. Yeah. He's targeting teenagers like him. So he's probably going to have to get to 200, 250, 300,000 or so subscribers. And then he can probably start to monetize it if he wishes to. Yeah. That's exciting. That's cool to hear, hear him do that. So was that, um, sec was that year in Columbus the second year then? Is that right? Correct. That was year two. Yeah. Year two. That was, that was my first time coming. That was awesome. And then coming back to Cleveland and going to the rock and roll hall of fame, like, well, that's gotta be a dream for you being a part of that? Oh, I, I, well, 
if you <laughs> we are we are blessed i guess you could say blessed because if you're going to bring a group of people that's never been to cleveland before and I'll, I kid you not, 75% of the people that came to the content marketing world that year after Columbus, so the third year, had never been to Cleveland before. Mm-hmm. So you're like, well, where are you go- You better take them to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We're probably best known for having the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. Uh, we've got a beautiful art museum. I mean, there's lots of stuff, right? Just yeah. like Calamos did probably. You take lots of wonderful places you could tell, take somebody to. But what, what do you really want? To- you take them to the Rock and Roll Hall. Fame. You show them around, they do a great job. So being able to take them there and, uh, you know, we always like to have a little rock and roll theme as we, as we go as well. So, uh, and that was part of it. Uh, I love Cleveland. I'm, I've been, I've lived in this area my whole life. I grew up in Sandusky, Ohio, Cedar Point Amusement Park. Yeah. Um, and wanted, and part of this was, yeah, part, part of this was how, how do we, uh, get the city involved in this. We'll help the city. They'll help us. They'll get really get behind this, make it big. And that's, so that's why I tell people, if you're going to do an event, try not to do it in New York, Chicago, San Francisco, Las Vegas, if you can. Do it in a city that will embrace you. Um, and, and as long as they can, people can get there accessibly, then you might, you might have something more powerful. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that was an exciting time. Just a, a geek out moment. I got to go see the the Ramones uh, display and everything. I'm a huge Ramones fan. And I was just like, man, this is incredible. So yeah, that's cool. So that, that's, that's the dream for a storyteller, create an event that's where awesome. like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to, I want to dive in a little bit to authenticity. It, it's a term that I feel like is really, it seems to be overused a lot right now in marketing. At least I feel like it is, but it's also very needed. We need authentic relationships and interactions, this kind of thing, especially in the age of Alexa and Siri, when bots can do so much that human connection is so important. So, and I want to talk about authenticity in the framework of, of what, kind of an anecdote for you. So I'm going to, I'm going to say this real quick and then I'll get to my question. Okay. Uh, when, I, when I first came to content marketing world and began to become part of the world of, of Joe Polizzi and, and Content Marketing Institute, I was impressed by your, um, your, your humanness, your realness, your, your, like, your, your almost, I hate to say like awkward humor, but you, you almost embrace that, right? I, I like that geek humor. You use 42, you wear orange shoes. I mean, like, man, I, I was, I was, I, I, I admired that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But then, but I never, and, and I, and you came across as having integrity, but I couldn't really put up my finger on it. And then when I listened to fast forward, you know, eight years later, whatever it is, I listened to Content Inc. And you talk about your faith. I thought, oh, Man, that so like your family mission, right? How you you are grateful to God every day, man. That hit me because I, I try to be grateful every day. I, I'm strong in my faith. I feel like I don't bash anybody over the head with it, and I feel like that's your thing too. That you have no problem talking about it. I get. I, I would guess, but you mm-hmm. also don't come out and like lead with it and use it for sales. So with that, all that said, how how important? I mean, so I got to believe authenticity is important. How do you balance being authentic without worrying? about um alienating people especially with things like faith or whatever well th- th- thanks first of all thanks for noticing i mean um i even in content inc outside of that mission statement area i think i i mentioned you know philippians four thirteen is my favorite passage mm-hmm. i can do all things through christ who strengthens me and i have it throughout all my books somewhere but i'm, I'm not going to hit somebody over the head with it i mean you know, it's just, this is this is not a time where I'm going to to testify on my journey. Uh, that's a totally different thing, and and I like getting it in uh, different ways, anyways, and, and just talking about it. But I think the key is is just you're just real. I mean, I think when you talk about authenticity, it's just what you see is what you get. I'm not any different talking to you now than I I'm on stage. Uh, that I'm doing my podcast and I'm writing my book. I'm not trying to hide anything. And that's the opportunity today. And that is why. I, so I think that's a benefit. Anything that makes you, and I, this is, you know, I don't, I don't want to go from talking about my, my faith to quirkiness, but let's move into, let's just talk about quirkiness for a second. Sure. I would say, yeah. So let's talk about is. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe being quirky was not a positive. People saw you and they said, oh, I don't know about that person. 
That's strange to me. Today, 2019, as we record this, it is the opposite. Whatever makes you different and quirky is probably a benefit. Let that light shine. You know, just come right out and show who exactly you are, be who exactly you are. Your audience that is digging what you're saying will dig it even more. <laughs> if you go, to, I mean, the, the orange thing, which I didn't even create, I didn't create the orange thing for as I'm talking and I've got orange lights behind me and an orange sweatshirt and orange hat. I, uh, I didn't create the orange thing for a business advantage. I never did it purposely. Uh, our colors were orange and gray as we launched the business. And I thought as an entrepreneur that I should go out and wear a shirt that looks like the colors of the company. No, yeah, nothing outrageous. So I put the orange shirt on and start, and when then I realized that everyone was taking pictures and then my keynotes and everything, I had the orange shirt on. So then when I did a presentation in Brussels, Belgium in early February of 2009, and they asked me to wear black on stage, a black tux, and I did that, I came off stage and I had three people that I'd never met before ask me why I wasn't wearing orange. <laughs> I'm like, what? I, and then it, it hit me. I'm like, oh my God, they've never seen me in any pictures that I wasn't wearing orange. Of course, that's the thing. And I'm like, okay, wow, that could be a thing. So then I went off the deep end in orange <laughs> and bathed in it every day and I, I bought an orange custom suit and I've got many pairs of orange shoes, as you know, and just leaned into that. And that's what's great about it. And I actually think that's helped the business. I have people send me orange stuff all the time. I have orange things all over my desk. It's just ridiculous how much orange I have <laughs> um, and did it to myself. But I believe that's also helped business. It's a part of me. I like the color orange. Uh, and everyone sort of shares that with me. And I'm recognized more for it. And people say, oh, I know a little bit more personal stuff about Joe. And I think the more that you do that, that's why I love podcasts, by the way the most personal medium ever, right? You could just, yeah. in somebody's ear. Um, is there anything more personal than that? So that's where I, I think today, you don't have to be the corporate, oh my God, I got to do the corporate podcast. And so, you know, back to what the opportunity is for anyone listening to this is corp, corporate marketing, you think, oh, I've got to be, I've got to be professional. I got to be corporate. But if you look at all the people out there building amazing audiences and monetizing those audience, they've got some kind of quirky, weird stuff going on that their audience embraces. And you know what? If, if a lot of people don't embrace it, fine. Well, you don't need everybody. Actually, you don't want everybody. Yes. You want, you want just that audience that loves you and that just gets up in the morning and says, I really, would, I really need that to hear that message, that story, that whatever from Joe or Dan. Mm -hmm. And that's because if you're pleasing everyone, you're pleasing no one. So, mm -hmm. so just, just focus on, uh, on that small little audience that loves you and accepts you for who you are and you're going to be just fine. Preach it, man. I love it. <laughs> if you want to be it's everything to everyone, you're nothing to no one. I, I love, I love saying that to people. That's great. And so, so let's ask, what was your favorite color? before Content Marketing Institute, or what is it now? Is it now orange? Was it that orange before? Uh, my favorite color growing up was purple, nice. believe it or not. Right I had a purple shirt. I liked purple. <laughs> I just, you know, I, was, I mean, I couldn't be blue or red. It always had, it had to be something different. <laughs> I guess I, I, my parents should have known then that I was a little bit off. <laughs> uh, but, but then it, it didn't, I just, I thought that when I saw the orange and gray together from a branding standpoint, I thought it looked great. Right. There weren't, and so if you, so this happened, this is 2006 when I started working on the company logo and the branding stuff. Everything was blue and red. Every, I mean, look at most companies out there, blue, red, you got some yellow in there for McDonald's. You got, there wasn't a lot of, it just so happened. It was funny that in 2006, seven, eight, all these companies, HubSpot launched with the same colors. 
all these companies launched with Orange, I think, tried to do the same thing. Hey, let's be different. We can afford <laughs> to be different today. Now you got everybody in their, their brother with an Orange logo, which is fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, so but then, then, of course, leaned into that. My favorite, so it's always going to be Orange. My favorite color, whether or not I go colorblind, it's always going to be Orange. There because you uh, I don't have any clothes that aren't orange. So that's just the way it is. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, the orange suit cracked me up. In fact, I need to send you an email later. I got to introduce you to uh, Jesse Cole, who has a yellow tuxedo. Oh, my God. He, is the, he owns the Savannah Bananas minor league baseball team down in Savannah, Georgia. And he is the yellow tux guy. And he's all about find your yellow tux. And when I saw that, I thought, dude, you got to meet Joe. He's got a yellow or an orange suit. Like uh, you two on stage would be amazing. So anyway, <laughs> that's fantastic. Do you know, do you know who uh, Mari Smith is? Do you know Mari? Uh, I've heard the name. So Mari, uh, Mari, it, you know, back in when we were all doing these things, she was really focused on Facebook. So she was one of the, the leading experts okay. that came out on Facebook business. And I noticed her right away. She, she wore blue everywhere. She wore the shade of blue, magenta, blue, uh, uh, wore it everywhere. And, uh, and that and she was very noticeable for that. And then she had some advice from, uh, I don't know if I'm talking out of school. I don't, I don't think so. Cause she's blocked about this, but she had somebody recommend to her to go in and she started wearing all different types of dresses, but not blue anymore. And she didn't, um, she didn't make that her color. Like everything had to be blue. She sort of went, I would say corporate, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that. But I told her, I'm like, I think that you're that blue is part of you and part of your persona and part of what makes you special and your message. And I would, I would have, I'd stay on that color because that's what sort of, sort of uh, got her to that point. Um, so anyone listening to this, if you have a strange quirk about you or uh, things that you like or don't like or whatever, completely be honest with it, honest about it because that's an advantage you have. Because that never gets through legal on a corporate side. You don't let they don't let a lot of individuals uh, show that on their podcasts, newsletters, whatever, because they have a corporate brand that they have to maintain. Mm -hmm. and so that's why it's so much easier, resources aside and money aside, for an individual or a small company to do this thing we're talking about today. Because yeah. you you don't have any any bondage on you that's that's holding you back. Amen. Now, so it sounds like it sounds like everything's great for you. Everything's come up roses. You've got a charmed life, man. Storytelling is easy, but I got to believe. And you mentioned earlier what you know the the match service flamed out. There's there's been challenges. What do you think if you think about storytelling in the form of either business or events or whatever? What's a challenge in storytelling that you've faced personally that you've had to overcome? The the big the biggest challenge was the pay is absolutely the patience you have to have while you're building the audience. So April 2nd, 2007 was my first blog post in September of 2009. I was looking for a job and I the revenue wasn't there yet. Now that is a long, not, it's all relative, right? <laughs> to me, with at the time the kids were six and eight and my wife did not work, although we were thinking she would have to go and get a job, um, didn't have the revenue coming in. This was a real struggle. And it's because, I mean, the, the audience was growing. We were getting there, but we were right at that level. So, so this is September 2009. And then I, I was at that point of feeling very sorry for myself. And I'm like, oh, God, I failed. This is terrible. It's not working. Um, I, I, I could have been making six figures a year at, at a corporate job, corporate media job. And I gave all that up to do this stupid thing for two years. Whatever. What am I going to do now? Oh, let's go find another job. By the way, in 2009 was a terrible economic time, as most people know, which, by the way, is the best time to start a business. But it doesn't feel like it at the time. 
and then I felt sorry for myself. And, and then really what I did is I went back and started reading emails from the audience because I think I needed a pick me up. I'm like, oh, Joe feels sorry for himself. He better go read some emails of people that like him. Yeah. Okay. I uh, started reading and that's where I started to read about Joe, do you do consulting? Joe, do you do training? Joe, I would like to meet other people in content marketing. I'm like, oh my God, it's been there the entire time and I haven't seen it. And that's when I, on a cocktail napkin, I must have been drinking at the time, apparently. <laughs> on a cocktail napkin, I said, we are going to build the leading online destination for content marketing, content mar which became contentmarketinginstitute.com. The leading magazine, chief content officer, and the leading uh, event, Content Marketing World. So this was September of 2009. Con and then, then basically, I talked to my wife about it and said, look, we, let's go into a little bit more debt. We can, we can make it through and double down and said, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's give it another six, nine months. And I'll, and I'll tell you that when we launched content marketing Institute in May of 2010, it took off immediately. There, it was right that we had people supporting it. We were coming out of the recession uh, and Content marketing was starting to make a name for itself. People were starting to talk about it. What is it? It's going around. And it and all the stars aligned. We were totally blessed. And from there, you know, it's but just think about that. So the, so from September to 2009 to May, that's the that's the difference. If we didn't endure through that time, Content Marketing Institute would have never existed. Somebody else would have came up with that idea. And they'd be sitting here talking to you. Um, so that, yeah, so it's, it's just, so it's, it's the hardest thing is waiting for the audience. And that's again, why most corporations, big companies, big brands with billion dollar budgets, that's why they fail because you get a new CMO, you get a new strategy coming in. They say that magazine, that newsletter, that podcast, that video, that event, all, all that stuff that we're doing to build an audience. We don't have time for that. We need pro we need revenue right now. We're doing advertising. We're going to pay influencers. We're going to do all this other stuff and they go and forget it. Um, so that's why all about, all about patience and grit, determination and waiting and waiting. And, and it's a marathon, not a sprint. That's all I can tell you. It, yeah. it, every, every entrepreneur, every storyteller that's trying to do this as a living comes to that point where they're like, is this thing really going to do it or what? And it's a six-month area where you have to endure through. You have to spend your 40 days, and then, then you make it on the other side. It's just and, hard to get through it. Oh, yeah, it is. And, and, I, and I hear you, and, I, and, I've, and I've been through it when it hasn't worked out, when the corporate thing came in. I, I've been through that. And, and I hear you say, uh, for some reason, three Ps came into mind. Patience, perseverance, and partner. Now, you're blessed to have a wife that supports you. Some people may not have a spouse or a partner, but you've got a support group you can create, having that perseverance to just that grit and having that patience. So the, the three P's, we just distilled it down, right? That's it. That's, <laughs> a, that's, a, that's a blog post right there. there that, I mean, that's, a, that's absolutely it. I can't undersell the, the, the partner aspect of it because I, I am not a – I'm not the detail person. I'm the idea person, the strategy person. I love to write. I love to speak. Um, she is all about operations. She has that in her blood. And so she took, you know, she, she ran Content Marketing Institute from behind the scenes while I was out in front in my orange suit. <laughs> and it's funny. Every time I'd go out for that keynote for that, you know, to kick off Content Marketing World, she was right in the back. Awesome. And we were uh, the first time. And I won't get too personal, but. First, first content marketing world. When I went out on stage and I, I looked out in the curtain, I saw 660 people sitting there. That's the first time Pam and I, my wife, that's the first time we thought we would make it. We thought that this is it. And we were both a wreck. She starts crying. I said, don't start crying. I'm going to start crying. Yeah. This is... I'm all ready to go out. I'm getting into my orange space, NASA spacesuit costume. David Meerman Scott standing right next to me. My wife and I are hugging, and and I'm a wreck. I'm like, I can't do this. 
but that was the that was the first time so everyone has their moment when some sponsor comes in or some audience member subscribes or something where you're like oh my god this might actually work so that content marketing world that was our moment that's a that's not too personal. That's incredible. I get, man, that gives me chills. It chokes me up just thinking about it. I like there is, there is, I don't know. There is no greater feeling than a wife's pride and support in a husband, you know, and, and, and that may hold true for every, any spouse, no matter what, you know, who, you know, wife, husband, whatever. But yeah, for me, there's no greater moment than having my wife say you're good and I'm proud of you and like support me. So I, I get it, man. I can just feel that. Well, I'll, I'll give you an, I'll give you another one. I, I know we're, we're coming close to the end here, but I, th- this is the other one. My, um, and this was my motivation for writing my first novel, which by the way, I finished yesterday. So nice. it's a really interesting time. So I finished my first novel. I've, I've written or co-written five business books. Uh, but I always wanted to write a novel because I, I thought I had, I thought I could do that. I wanted to, to challenge myself a little bit, but my wife has never read one of my books. Not, one she's read the acknowledgements page <laughs> of every one of the books but that's it does it none anything i'm like and i we i kid her about it. i'm like you didn't you didn't read anything i said no i'm not gonna read that that's it's boring she's like who wants to read about content marketing i live it i don't want to read it this <laughs> is funny because people think she's a content marketing expert because she's runs operations content marketing institute at the time she's like no i don't know anything about content marketing get away from me i know how to run a business like, okay. Um, but I said, what's my goal with this novel? My goal is to not sell a million copies and become this famous, whatever. My goal is to have my wife read something I wrote. That's, that's the sole goal I had for this. And what's funny is she's a quarter of the way through it. She's my first reviewer. <laughs> She'll be done Friday. Uh, she'll be done in a couple of days from, from now. Um, so that it just you, you talk about a partner and support whatever that's I really all I wanted to do is have her read something I wrote, keeping very small goals. So I'm almost there. That's she'll awesome. be she'll be done shortly. <laughs> so you are a storyteller. You just wrote a novel, man. I love it. Um, I it's funny. I've been right. This is probably another weird thing. You get me all. You get me thinking about my life here. This is like I'm on. This is your life, Joe. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I have been writing for 20 years and today is the first time I actually feel like a writer. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, I, I now get up every day and, and I write for an, at least an hour a day. And I, even when I don't, and I'm stuck and I don't have anything create creative, I just write. And that's what I've learned from a lot of people that are much smarter than I am about how to become a writer on writing by Stephen King, by the way, if you're, yes. it's a fantastic book. And basically he says, and a lot of other smart people say, just do it. You cannot, I cannot tell you how to become a good writer until you do the work and you just write however you want to write journal, uh, paper and pencil, computer, iPad, whatever it is, go write, do it. And it probably was, it's you know from writing the book probably starting uh, late September after content marketing roll over probably about ninety days in a row every day I would write and then I finally said well shoot I think a writer writes I might be a writer I could probably in a conversation tell people that I'm a writer now because I write just like you're a podcaster because you yeah. produce podcasts you know those are the same type of Absolutely. Yeah. My moment for that was back when I was in TV, uh, I was a producer and I was writing the scripts every, every day. And I, and, I, and I was at the moment, I was miserable. I didn't want to do it anymore. I wanted to get out of television. I wanted to get into marketing. It was back when HubSpot was first new when Content Marketing Institute was new. And, and, and I wanted that world, but I didn't know what it was called. I didn't even know those, those entities existed at the time. But I finally had to tell myself, no, look, you're writing and you're getting paid. You're a writer. And that was, that was kind of my moment. And so yeah. I've always just kind of owned that since then. I, I may not be awesome. a novelist. I may not be published in that sense, but I'm a, I'm a writer, doggone it. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, those storytellers out there thinking of that, you are a storyteller. So keep, keep telling those stories. Well, the other thing too is I had to tell people that I'm a writer because the last month that I was taking my sabbatical, I didn't want to say I'm retired. <laughs> because they, so everybody's like, well, what are you doing now? You, you just sit around all day? 
like I had to make up stuff that say, yes, I, I write. I, I like to do. That's awesome. <laughs> we yeah. did. We, we didn't even get into that whole thing, man. That sabbatical thing. That's, that's incredible. Um, for storytellers, I will link to the, the LinkedIn article that you wrote about a sabbatical. People have to go read that, it, man. It, like not to like blow smoke or totally, you know, kiss up or anything else, but it really was inspiring to the, the fact that you had that opportunity is amazing, right? That's a blessing. Yeah. For those of us who don't just reading that inspires, we can take our own little like mini sabbaticals and just kind of recenter. So thanks for that inspiration. Um, oh, thank you. I, I had no idea that that was article was going to get the reception that it did. And it resonated with so many people. Cause I don't know anybody now. I know lots of people cause there t- lots of people have taken sabbaticals, but I was the only one that I knew that actually took what I would call a sabbatical. You take a p- period of time off from work and uh, I learned so much. So yeah, I, I, uh, I'm, it's it's nice that so many people now think, yeah, I maybe can't take a year off, but maybe I could take a weekend. Mm-hmm. I could take a week. I could stop using my cell phone for a week. I could start thinking about my family more for a week. I could start reading different things for a week. I could, you know, just reset. Yeah. Everyone needs a reset. Everyone. Absolutely. absolutely especially away from electronics which yeah. seems to be more and more of an issue to people so mm-hmm. there you go uh, so joe if if somebody were to tell you now that you are a writer and you've i've convinced you that you're a storyteller if i were to tell yeah. you joe you can't tell any more stories you're done being a storyteller what would your last story be that you'd want to be able to go out on do you think oh my goodness that's that's almost like uh, the question if you only had one album and you were on a desert island, which one? By the way, mine would be Glass Houses by Billy Joel. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> what story would I tell? Um, I, would, I would probably, I don't know. I would tell the story of what's really important. I would tell the story of, I mean, I'm 45 years old. I've had a lot of experiences. I know some things. I don't know a lot of other things. But I would talk about what I know to be true. And maybe somebody won't make some of those mistakes that I made. Talk about, I'll probably talk a little bit about my faith, about my family, about uh, you know, getting up in the morning and what's the most important thing to do during the day before you get into the things that don't matter. Um, like politics or something like that, right? right, right. Don't, don't get down into the into the swamp uh, and bring and bring other people down with you. Yeah. Focus on so I, that's that's what I would talk about, and it wouldn't be anything earth shattering. It would probably be here's there's thirty things that I've learned, and if you take one of these with you, hopefully you'll live a better life. So basically, you'd go out the way you live by helping others and inspiring. I love it. Yeah, I. It's so. Here's the selfish part of that, Dan. Not that I'm all, all you know. I'm I'm not all giving all the time. Sure. Uh, if you do that, you'll be successful in business too. Yeah. People forget that. Like you have to. You can't do that. There's so many examples of people that stab each other in the back and they're successful in business. I got to be that way. Today, you don't have to. Maybe you never had to. Be the person you are and help other people. You'll feel better about yourself and you'll probably do better as a business. Well said, my friend. Hey, man, I appreciate your time today, Joe. Uh, Where's the best place for people to connect with you to, to continue to follow what you're doing, man? Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, all my stuff right now in my speaking and writing is on joepolizzi.com, P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I. And I'm probably the most accessible social media part on Twitter, which is at joepolizzi.com. So if you want to get my attention, send me a note. I, check every, I don't check every day anymore. Check every couple of days. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I'll uh, I'll I'll see you there. And if you have anything, uh, and then my you know my contact information is at joepolizzi.com. All my books and podcasts and stuff like that's all there. Cool, man. And I'll link to that in the show notes. Perfect. Thank you, sir. That was super fun. Absolutely, man. Cheers. You got it.
So there you have it. Thank you so much to my guest, Joe Polizzi, for coming on the show. You can connect with him at the links in the show notes. And even though he sold CMI, isn't, isn't there in that capacity anymore, there's still a great resource for storytellers, for businesses, and anyone really looking to build an audience. So their link is down there as well. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider share, sharing it with someone. Uh, sharing is caring, right? Do you care? I mean, come on, do you care? Uh, share it with someone that you think would benefit from it. I really appreciate it. Let them know that we talk to great storytellers every week and, and hopefully inspire. And so I hope you do that. And if you want to share your story with me, go to the storytellersnetwork.com, hit contact Dan on the contact page, send me an email and let me know what you love about the show or maybe what you don't love about the show. How can I make it better? Who else can I invite on the show? Send me a note. I appreciate it. And until next time, here's to telling our stories, having those stories to tell. Cheers. 